I'm Angelique Roche, and this is Marvel's Voices, where I sit down with diverse storytellers to talk about their stories, influences, and the impact that Marvel has had on their lives. I was first introduced to Francesca Ramsey, also known by her YouTube name, Cheska Lee, in 2012. A friend of mine sent me a link with the instructions, girl, you have got to watch this, but put your headphones on. Of course, I put my headphones on, clicked the link, and quickly found myself awkwardly laughing out loud at a blonde wig wearing Francesca. The video was funny, but the greatest thing about it was that Francesca was using humor to talk about some of the most uncomfortable moments that black women and girls deal with on a daily basis. Moments about hair, race, personality quirks, and lifestyle. 12 million views, hundreds of videos, and an MTV show later, Francesca Ramsey continues to use comedy and her own brand of inclusive feminism to highlight key issues regarding race, gender, disability, sexual orientation, and of course, the need for more superheroes of color. I sat down with Francesca to talk about watching X-Men with her dad, being a 10-year overnight internet success, stepping out of her comfort zone, and embracing who we are. Are you hiring, posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. In fact, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash voices. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash voices. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We have to be in here with my Pookie Lorraine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, she's amazing. <sighs> I just want to start here because it's, it's so great to me. One part of the book, um, you talk about uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it's okay. <laughs> it, but be the person that you wanted to be as a kid. Yeah. And the whole story about the young lady who had been suspended from school for wearing locks was such a big deal for me. Because when I was in law school, I was growing my locks. So I, I grew my locks about the same time you started yours. Mm-hmm. And I had wrapped my hair. And you talk about how, you know, you did all the head scarves and figuring out. I was so embarrassed and just didn't feel confident in them at all. I actually got kicked out of a law school class. No way. I was in law school um, first year. I had just done the big chop for the second time. It was the first time I tried to text her as a <laughs> overprocessing is real. Right. And she had a, this long um, syllabus that had no hats, no do-rags. No, and, and it was a white teacher. Right. And I was wearing a headscarf. I took my hat off because I had had my headscarf wrapped in the back very ornately had learned how to do this right and she stops class and singles you out i'm mortified no and then she asked me to either take it off or leave so this happens more than once and eventually i just i leave class and your story about talking about how this young woman looked at you and said i want my hair to be like Jessica Lee's hair. And to be in the third grade and know that she wanted to keep her hair natural and have locks, 
I just remember when I was in third grade begging my mother for a perm, just begging her and being like, please, why do you hate me? (laughs) Give me the creamy crap, please. (laughs) Like I was so just like not secure in my skin at all. And I really feel like in many ways that's kind of a reflection of the time that we're in now that Mm -hmm. a third grade girl can go to YouTube, can look on television, can look in movies like Black Panther and see black women who are wearing their hair in all of these versatile, professional, Gorgeous. gorgeous, natural hairstyles that I, not to say that natural hair I don't necessarily like to call it a fad, but I don't think that it had as much visibility when I was growing up. I didn't know anybody that had natural hair. Everybody I knew Especially in the South. You either got it pressed, you got it braided, which I know you had your journey with braided. Yes. Um, But I think it's, it's so interesting because when you look at this representation, and we have something else in common. Page 42 of the Jet magazine. Oh my goodness. Every single week, Jet would come to my house. Beauty of the week. And I would love when they had froze. I mean, and it was so rare and special because it just, I didn't feel like it ever happened. (laughs) It was magic. And I was like, give it to me. And I would just I didn't care what, I didn't know who was on the cover. I didn't care what else. I went straight. That is so cute. But it makes a difference when you see yourself. It really does. And I think what's interesting to me, or not necessarily interesting, but I feel it is often disappointing that it seems there are some white people who don't understand that. And I think it's largely because they are so used to seeing themselves everywhere. And they're so used to seeing this diversity of representation, so much so that no one is saying, oh, well, you are uh, a teacher, a white teacher. You must be like this because I saw this on television, right? Yeah, no one's ever going to do that. No one is going to compare them to like some archetype that they saw on television because we innately understand that those characters are not a representation of all white people. But when you are an LGBTQ person or a person of color or a person with a disability, which real talk, people with disabilities are just not getting the visibility that they deserve unless it's like a sob story or a sort like a story that's just about their disability. We don't, where is the romantic comedy that has a, you know, a girl with a disability and it's like not about like she finds love even though. Even, right. Just, you know, like. Because it's an affliction. Right. And it's interesting because you, uh, you went to New York Comic Con last year. I did. And, the question that you asked, can you name seven superheroes of color? Which is very interesting because you People didn't say struggled. comic book. You didn't say comic book superheroes. You said just superheroes. Like you gave them as much Door room. wide open. I actually, after I watched it, I was like, okay, Anjali, can you made seven? Now, of course, I work at Marvel. Right. I named 20. Okay. Um, but also... But also you were probably looking for those characters because you wanted to see them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that speaks to a broader point of the fact that we as as black women, as women of color, yeah. we've always been able to relate to somebody else's story. Right. Mm. We've always been able to watch a show with people that don't look like us and say, like, I can relate to these themes. And there are lots of people in this world who've never had to do that. Yeah. And so for them, they're like, well, I why I, I remember when there were all these conversations about why don't we have more superheroes of color? Yeah. There were people who were like, well, why do we have to race bend these characters? Why can't they just stay <laughs> how they are? And it's like, 
you don't understand the significance because you're so used to a superhero that looks like you. Right. And it's it's such an embedded image. Like I know a lot of people mention Storm. A lot of people mention Black Panther. Some folks mention Blade, which people forget Blade is a Marvel superhero. Right. Um, but it's interesting to me because when I was digging, I found a character, Monica Rambeau. Oh. So which is also interesting because there's an article that r- actually suggests that you play mm. Monica Rambeau. Really? It is one. I will oh send it to you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Um, my Google alert did not catch that. Um, 2014, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, but the interesting about Monica Rambeau and why I attached to her, I was born in 1982. She was created in 1982. She's from New Orleans. She's a black woman, part of the port control. And she was the first woman to be Captain Marvel. Wow. And so the article was based on well, we're getting a Captain Marvel movie, but what about Monica Rambeau? And there was really? always this question because, you know, we saw ourselves in, I saw myself in this character, but they were like, she, you know, Francesca's funny, she's good at characters, and she would be great. And they actually referenced one of my favorite videos, the Olivia Pope makeup tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this has gone from ridiculous, ridiculously funny to just ridiculous and that's and that's what I love about your book and just kind of going through how it seems like you found this way to tell your narrative to tell your story um, in such a way that it's almost an instruction video for if I learn this if I did this then you can learn this too and I really feel Throughout my career, I have made so many mistakes. I mean, that's the foundation of the book. But I've also found that when I've been upfront about them, that people really appreciate it. And I took a step back and realized that that's because it is just so rare, especially Mm. for people in the public eye. Anytime somebody gets called out, whether it's using inappropriate language or, um, or, you know, something more nefarious, like actually breaking the law or assaulting someone or abusing someone, you get the false fake apologies, right? And you get the excuses And it is just so rare that someone says, you know what, I did the wrong thing and I did let you down and I want to remedy the situation and I want to move forward and I want to earn your trust. When people actually say that, it's mind blowing. And you say, all right, I actually do want to give you a chance. And so my hope is that by being more transparent about the mistakes that I've made and, you know, using humor to kind of soften the blow when it comes (laughs) to some of those real truths, um, that more people will be self-reflective as well. Well, you have a lot of faith in people. You go into these arguments. And I've been there. Like, and, and I say this as somebody who has who has been there, who, again, we were talking a little bit earlier. You know, we cut our hair off at the same time. Uh, I really wanted my locks. I was tired of getting my hair permed. I was in the military for a short period of time and was not able to get my locks. Wow. Um, like, there's so many commonalities, not just in our stories, but in other people's stories, that, you know, for you to still have faith in people receiving this message like what like what goes through your head when you get back up (laughs) after dealing with someone who is so obstinate well I try to remind myself that the times that I've screwed up somebody had to have faith in me and I think that if the people that I know online and in real life had given up on me um I hate to think of where I might be 
and how mm. the ignorant things that I might still believe or still be worse yet sharing, right? I have a mm. platform and I'm very thankful and I feel very fortunate for that platform and I take it very seriously. And so I, sure, I know there are some people who are dedicated to being terrible people and believing awful things. But I also feel that it is a waste of my time to focus my energy on those people and to think about the fact that there are just a lot of people who don't know and they Mm. haven't been exposed to certain things. And here in New York, we are very fortunate, right? We can walk down the street and hear people speaking every sort of language. We can see people dressed in all sorts of different clothing from different cultures and different body types and, and different races. And that really has an impact on how you see and understand the world, world, right? I remember going to Catholic school and thinking that alternative music was from the devil. And then I went to an art school and I remember my first day on campus seeing two guys kissing and thinking, what in the heck have I stepped into? <laughs> I don't know about this school. Sister Mary Frances would have just And lost. I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not okay. And then I, just by being exposed to different people who yeah. were different from me, it just really opened my eyes. And I think we have to remember that there are a ton of people who genuinely never met you know, a happy out LGBTQ person Mm. who've never met a a Muslim girl with a funny sense of humor and a potty mouth, right? Like those people exist. But if your worldview has never been exposed to those people, I don't think that inherently makes you a bad person. I think it just makes you a person that has been sheltered and needs to have their eyes open to the ways in which their biases are preventing them from seeing people for who they really are. And I think that's interesting going back to the New York Comic Con um, and why it's so important, right? Like why diversity is so important. Like When you think about um, we now have America Chavez, who is a queer Latinx character. You now have uh, Ms. Marvel is now mm-hmm. Muslim, Muslim American. Yes. You have Miles Morales, who's Afro-Latino. You have uh, Danielle. Like, you have you have all these amazing different characters outside of Luke Cage and outside of Storm, right. um, which used to be the one and only. Right. And you have depictions of Misty Knight um, and these very amazing characters, but you have them in comics, right? Like you have them from this inception that a ten-year-old can pick up. Do you feel like that that makes a difference in that issue of representation? It makes a difference, absolutely. I mean, there have mm-hmm. been studies that have shown that it doesn't just make a difference for children of color; it makes a difference for white children as well. Mm-hmm. To just see someone that looks different from them and to realize that they can connect with their story, that they can be inspired by them, and that in many ways we are different, but in many ways we are the same. And so I think often we don't realize how many times, how much those representations are influencing us, whether it is the way we feel about our hair or our skin or our bodies, that if we don't see people that look like us or we don't see depictions of ourselves that are smart and hardworking and beautiful, that we can think, well, I need to have straight hair in order to be to be beautiful. Yeah. Well, I wish my nose was slimmer. Oh, I wish that my lips, I remember getting teased because my lips were so full. And now mm. everybody wants full lips. People are spending 
you can't see my face but i'm making (laughs) hopefully you can hear the sound in my face okay there are some people who are spending buku dollars to have lips that look like mine but why is that because now we are seeing that that full lips are beautiful and sexy and desirable but Mm. there was a time i didn't wear lip color until I was in my 20s because I was afraid that wearing colorful lipstick was going to make my lips look huge and that they would bring so much attention and so it's like when I saw somebody else doing it when a makeup artist did my did my makeup for a shoot and I remember being like no 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 no, you cannot put that lipstick on me and then she did and it looked so beautiful and then I got messages from fans who were like, I never would have worn those colors because I felt this way about myself. So we need to see somebody else do it. We need to see somebody else in a positive light that looks like us yeah. in order to feel good about ourselves and to step outside of ourselves and maybe do something that's a little bit out of our comfort zone and, and embrace who we are, which is something, unfortunately, that's difficult for everybody, no matter what you look like. But it's especially difficult if there are these messages all the time telling you that you're ugly or you can't wear your hair like that in class because it's distracting or you can't wear your hair like that at work because it's not professional or God forbid you're justifiably angry about something. And I feel uncomfortable because Lord knows a black woman who has an opinion and is angry, rightfully so sometimes, is a threat to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that seeing these representations in comic books or on the big screen, it really makes a difference. And I'm I'm so inspired that Marvel is, you know, kind of taking the mantle in that respect. Yeah. So third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, Francesca, like what were you into as a kid? I actually really did love X-Men. I watched the cartoon with my dad. Um, My dad is really into superhero and sci-fi and uh, all of that whole world. And so uh, X-Men was something that we could do together, which was really fun. And I remember that he actually bought me like the little cards. Like I had like a giant folder with like the the little plastic sheets. And I had all of these cards of all the different characters. Um, I loved Storm and Jubilee. Um, Yeah, so I was into that. I was also really into music. I had a brief period where I really thought I was going to be a singer. Um, And Life is long and you're young. Yes, and you know what? I I don't regret that time in my life, but the music industry is not a place that I think that I would flourish in. Um, so I loved, I loved Brandy, like Moesha, Moesha, the fact that she was acting and singing to me, I was just like, wow, she does it all. And she had braids and like, she was wearing overalls and like floppy hats. Yo, between Cree Summer, Moesha and Blossom. Yes. That is definitely like a fashionable trio right in there. Like kind of hippie kind of tomboy with like a little bit of glam i mean a little retro i i those were the things i wanted to wear but my mother was just like no girl none of this is cute (laughs) she was not feeling (laughs) any of it um i was in catholic school at the time so i wore a uniform which i'm pretty sure my mother loved largely because she didn't have to buy me like an extensive wardrobe i could wear the uniform during the week, um, which, you know, kudos to you, mom, being sensible and uh, budget friendly, which was very <laughs> smart on her part. 
And you were big into a lot of magazines. Oh, absolutely. So what? So your Jane was my sugar. Have you ever heard of sugar? No. So sugar was a UK magazine. Okay. It's now closed. But I would beg my mother. We go to Barnes and Nobles and beggars like because it's the only place you can get mm-hmm. a British magazine in Louisiana. That makes sense. Uh, and I would beg her for it because it would have all of the tips. We can't talk about what kind of tips, but it have all the tips. Oh, okay. Because you go to Catholic school and you're definitely not <laughs> doing that. Um, but you're like, I want to know. What is this thing that you're not teaching me about? Um, but you were really into magazines. Like, I was. was. How was, like, what was that for you? Like, um, I mean, I think I've just always had uh, an artistically creative side. You know, mm-hmm. I went to art camp and I loved to draw And so for me, magazines were a chance to, especially because my mom was not letting me experiment fashion-wise. She was very much the type of mom who is all about the classics, which I now really appreciate. But she was like, that's a fad. I'm not going to spend money on that. That's not going to be cool or wearable or something you're even going to like. Next I mean, year. like low, low-rise jeans, like low-rise jeans, like baby doll tees, you know, like <laughs> Vans. <laughs> um, like just, <laughs> why did I need skateboard shoes? I wasn't skateboarding, um, <laughs> but my mom was like, no. And so, magazines were a place where I could look at women that were confident and were wearing the types of fashions that I wanted to wear. I had all of these things up on my wall, just ripped out pictures of um, either celebrities or just models. And Jane was a magazine that also talked about sex and, again, was stuff that I was kind of like, ooh, this is really felt naughty, you know, but still felt empowering because it did have like a very feminist slant, which I really liked. I also loved Sassy, which also does not exist anymore for the same reason that it was about women and girls, but in a way that felt really empowering. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, I wasn't like a Cosmo type of girl and not not to down them, but I felt like that was so much about getting the attention of of men versus like how to feel good about yourself. And like, if guys are into it, awesome. If girls are into it, that's cool too. If nobody's into it, you're still really hot. Um, and I I really needed that. I yeah. needed that at that time. I was so insecure and, and just did not feel comfortable in my skin. And so those magazines were an escape for me. Yeah. They were beautiful. They were well-designed. They were colorful. They were funky. They had so much personality and, and confidence. And those were all things that I desperately wanted. Same with Jet and, and Ebony, you know, just seeing, I mean, I think that that's why the beauty of the week really resonated with me. Even though I didn't look like those women, I wanted to be somebody who could stand next to a pool in, you know, a one piece swimsuit with cutouts that would probably give you bad tan lines. Like I wanted to be that and I knew I wasn't. Um, mm. but something about that really drew me to it for that reason. So what was the turning point? Cause I mean, there's, you know, you've, you've had what? 10 plus years as a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. You were on the nightly show. I don't know. I mean, I think in many ways I'm still kind of figuring myself out like most of us are mm. right. You know, I don't think that it's a destination. It's a journey. Like I have my days where I don't feel very confident and especially I'm going into this new venture. I'm releasing a book. It's something I've never done before. I've put a lot of myself in there, some moments that I'm not really that proud of. So I have moments where I feel a little 
nervousness and fear. But I think the thing that has been really helpful for me is realizing that I'm not the only person that feels that way. Mm. And again, I think that that's why it's so important for me to talk about those things because when I have met people that I looked up to and they've said, oh, gosh, I'm so nervous about this thing or I'm stressed out or I'm dealing with anxiety, I had this moment of, whoa, I've been looking at you and thinking that you had it all put together and that I was a failure because I was not like you. And now you are telling me that you also have anxiety mm-hmm. or you were going through a terrible breakup when this thing happened and and you just appeared to have it together or you lost your job or sometimes you don't know how if you can pay your rent. And I'm like, wait a second, this is stuff that every single person deals with at one time or another. Nobody feels confident all the time. Nobody's life is perfect. That's really helped me have those days and say, all right, I'm going through this right now, but it will pass and tomorrow is a new day and hopefully tomorrow will be better. Um, And so I take a lot of uh, solace in that. And I think, you know, the quote that you talked about being who you needed when you were younger, I'm trying to do that every day. Mm -hmm. And so I commit myself to pushing myself a little bit further every single day and and having the support of my audience and and my friends and family Mm -hmm. really keeps me going. So this is the other thing. Um, You ask why a lot and you go down rabbit holes a lot, but you also... I don't want to say pride yourself, but there is this um, drive that you have to be almost overly prepared when you're speaking about things. It's even reflected in the glossary in the back of the book. Thank you. I was like, (laughs) where was this glossary when I started working at a feminist organization? (laughs) This would have been great. Um, But how long do you sit there and decide whether or not you're going to say something? Oh, man. I mean, I definitely am someone who tends to overthink everything, um, which is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> but I really I really do try to be prepared. And so thank you for even acknowledging and appreciating that. That, that definitely speaks to me. Um, I think it just depends on what it is. And I try to take a step back and decide why am I trying to speak up on this thing? Do I actually know what I'm talking about? Has somebody else already said this maybe in a way that was better than I could say? Um, Do I have an an additional perspective or angle on this conversation that I think is worthwhile? So I really try to do my homework, but also check in with myself first before I jump in. And that's something that I learned after doing it the wrong way. And I feel like in many ways, that is one of the biggest downsides of social media is it is so immediate. Mm. You don't actually have to take any time to think about what it is that you're going to say before you put it out there. And once you put it out there, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And so I've had enough times where I wish I could have taken that extra two seconds, five minutes, 10 minutes a day even before jumping into the fray that now I do that a lot more often. And again, with social media, especially I just had a tweet recently. Gosh, I like what a millennial thing to say. I'm going to quote a tweet of mine uh, (laughs) where I was talking about the fact that sometimes it feels like you don't even have enough time to come up with your own opinion on something because social media is just everybody else's opinion on something. Mm. And it's 
And because it feels like this competition to get as many likes or as many retweets as possible, sometimes people are saying stuff just to say something. And I've had times where I had to be honest with myself and say, I'm really only saying, I'm only watching the Grammys because I'm like, well, everybody's tweeting about the Grammys, so I should probably watch so I can have some funny jokes about the Grammys, right? (laughs) Do I really, did I care? Like, not really. Um, And so the more I do that, the more I become conscious of, I don't always need to contribute to every conversation, especially if I don't actually know or feel very passionate about whatever that particular thing is at the moment. I think that speaks, though, to the freedom um, that you I can almost hear as you're telling your story through your book is this freedom that you've been able to build um, both through like the lessons that you've unfortunately had to learn (laughs) um, because no one's perfect. We've all we've all made that mistake. We've all done that. Absolutely. And I feel you know, on the inverse side, there are people who are like, wow, I really look up to you. And then there are people who are like, eh, Francesca thinks she is so perfect and she's just looking down her nose at everyone. And for me, this book was a chance to say, that is so not true. <laughs> I have screwed up so, so much. But again, I think that sometimes that feeling comes from the fact that they have been called out or they have made mistakes and they felt embarrassed. And so they are projecting onto, well, everybody else is acting as if they're perfect and I know they're not. And so I thought, why not just rip the Band-Aid off and say, oh, I am absolutely not perfect, but I can laugh about the mistakes that I've made in hopes that you can learn from them. Do you think that's part of what makes you a better storyteller? I mean, I think all different aspects of my personality and my life experience are are what make me a storyteller. Um, I feel like it's been... Uh, a recent revelation that I'm good at storytelling, right? (laughs) It's one of those things where oftentimes we have that self-doubt of, oh, well, that person wrote a book and that person has a TV show and that person's done that and I can't do that, right? And then you push yourself and you try and you think, oh, wow, this is actually kind of funny. This is good. I really like this thing. I think um, my willing to be my willingness to be self-deprecating makes me a, a good storyteller. Um, my, I love analogies. I love them so much. And I They're use amazing. them all of the time. Um, and at first I thought that sometimes I would be explaining something. Um, for example, I often talk about how, so I use these analogies and how they help people understand things. And an analogy to explain why I use analogies is when you, listen, it's like inception. When you're feeding a baby vegetables, you do like the little airplane, right? And the airplane helps them eat the vegetables. They're still eating the, eating the vegetables, but you gotta package it in this like silly little like to get them to eat it. That's why I use analogies. If I can use an analogy to explain a high level concept, whether it's, using Destiny's Child to explain allyship or using uh, a caterpillar and a snail to explain privilege, they might seem kind of silly, but they help people. Like, people enjoy them. And so at first when I would do it, I always kind of dismissed them and said, like, oh, this is going to sound really dumb or this might not make any sense. Please try and go with me here. And then once I stopped Once I saw people were receptive to it, I stopped doing that. And then I would use these analogies and people would say, wow, I never thought about it that way. You are so good at that. And I was like, oh, I am good at that. Analogies are my thing now. So yeah, if I, new business cards, Francesca Ramsey, analogies are my thing. 
That's how I feel about Decoded. Decoded is one <laughs> huge analogy. And I, I, my person, I didn't, I've, we've watched it and I've shared it at my old job. And I, it's just a big thing, particularly for feminists, because mm-hmm. there is this intersectional language um, that I think you and Akila Green are very good mm-hmm. at. Intersectional She's pizza. She's amazing. Intersectional yeah, yeah. pizza <laughs> is my favorite. Um, but you did one recently about Ask an axe mm-hmm. and being from the south as you are from the south and you have family in south carolina i gotta say it's so funny i'm from florida and i feel like florida it's not really it's the not south really the but it's s- in technically the south. the south it's technically the south but i'll take it um but you have family in south carolina i do which i am sure they say x i just heard your a little accent come out when you said south carolina you said south carolina i do in fact have an accent <laughs> I appreciate I heard it come out. Yeah, we did an episode about uh, AAVE, African-American Vernacular English. And I learned a lot working on that episode. And again, mm. that's something I talk about in the book is that people say, wow, you know everything. And no, oftentimes the episodes come about because we have a question about something. Yeah. We don't understand where something comes from. Or the audience says, why haven't you done an episode about AAVE? And this is a really interesting entryway point that uh, my producer read an article about Ask being used by Chaucer and was like, this could be a really great way to to cover this topic. And so uh, it really was very eye-opening and also was a great time to, again, be self-reflective about the fact that we often judge people by the way they speak and that the way you speak is not necessarily an indicator of your intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we know that by the fact that we've all worked with somebody or, God forbid, dated somebody who presented as very intellectual. Mm -hmm. But then you realize this person does not have it together. You don't have common sense. You don't have street smarts. It doesn't matter if you have you know, a degree is a great thing that not everybody has access to, right? right? And so there are lots of intelligent people that have not gone to the same schools or had access to the same things that we've had. Um, And I think it's really important to help people understand that the way we communicate is very important, but also there's more to who we are than what we sound like, what we look like, how we speak, and so, uh, yeah, I, I was very proud of that episode. I'm proud of all of our episodes. Yeah. And I feel like Decoded is really an evolution of the work that I've been doing on YouTube for a really long time mm-hmm. where I was in my living room making these videos or I was in my bathroom or I was in my bedroom making these videos all by myself. Um, and now I get to work with an awesome production team and, yeah. and they are the ones helping me tell these stories and and give life to these analogies in funny and creative ways. And make amazing animations. Oh, the graphics are so, so fun. Good. We did one episode that was about cultural appropriation. Mm. And we were explaining like the Native American uh, mascots. And I used the analogy of, what if your grandmother passed away? And I decided to put her face on a t-shirt to represent my sports team right you might say like well that's my grandmother she means a lot to me and i'm like i don't know who she is she's now the mascot for my sports team and so we had a little animation of like a crying person about the grandma and then the grandma on the shirt and it was just so funny because i didn't tell them to make that it was just the analogy that i used for the script and then to see it represented so perfectly was just 
So gratifying. And you're an only child. Yeah. Okay. Could you tell? <laughs> um, which I, I can only imagine um, what playing by yourself was like with all the characters that you've played. I was always performing for all of my stuffed animals and my parents and their friends. You could not get me to shut up. I mean, I was just running my mouth and performing and doing voices and impressions of my teachers all the time. And you thought they were amazing. Well, you know, one of my favorite stories is I would do an impression of my Spanish teacher for my mom because my Spanish teacher and I were always butting heads. And my mother came in for a parent-teacher conference. And the minute my Spanish teacher opened her mouth, my mom excused herself and was in the (laughs) hallway laughing because she said, you sound exactly like Senora Kylie. And I was like, I told you that's what she sounds like. And my mom thought that I was exaggerating. She had a very thick accent, but she always had like these little catchphrases that she would say like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna baby you I'm not gonna hold your hand and so when I would do them for my mom and she was like oh my goodness that sounds exactly like her um and I felt very accomplished because I was like I know I'm doing a good impression of this woman and you're telling me that there's no way she sounds like that and she sounds exactly like that so did your mom always know you were going to end up being a performer? Or was she like pushing something else? No, you know what? I feel very fortunate that my parents were the type who never tried to steer me in one way or the other. Mm. Their whole methodology was that whatever it is I want to do, just be the best you can be. And so I was always a pretty good student. But I think it was Spanish, especially. I brought home a C one time, and my mom said, a C? Is this the best you can do? And I said, probably not. And she said, okay, then. Then go back and do better. (laughs) And I was like this. You know when your parents are like, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. And that just like chills you to the core because it's worse because it is it's worse. Ten times worse it's absolutely worse and that's when they hit you with is this the best you could do it's the same vein where you realize like no this really isn't the best i could do so i was going to school for acting and my parents were like all right do that and then i left and went to school for graphic design and my parents were like okay do that and when i said i was going to quit my job and try to be an actress my parents were like okay do that i mean <laughs> they were always just Very supportive. My mother has always said, you are someone that is highly employable, which means Mm. that if it doesn't work out, you can go get a job. Might not be the job you want, but you could go get a job. So um, I feel very fortunate. But I think think my mom and my dad were just the type of parents who were like, Francesca will be okay. She'll be fine. Whatever it is she ends up doing, she will love and she will do the best she can and she'll be fine. All right. Quick fire questions. Sure. What's your daily routine? Do you roll over and pick up that phone? Ooh, I just stopped. I just got an alarm clock and I now plug my phone in in the kitchen so that I'm not tempted to look at it first thing in the morning, right before I go to bed or in the middle of the night when I go to the bathroom. So now I have an alarm clock. So the first thing I do is uh, get up. Usually, so I have two dogs. Okay. One of my dogs, Kaya, is very old and her bladder is very little. So I take her out first thing in the morning mm-hmm. just so she can go to the bathroom, make breakfast, check emails, usually go to the gym, depending on what day it is. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the day is completely wide open. My schedule is different every single day. Okay. What do you miss about Florida? 
wearing open-toed shoes every single day. That is a real thing that does not, I wouldn't even do it in New York every day. Even no. If I could. First of all, one, you couldn't. Two, ill. Like there's just so much gross stuff on the streets of New York City that you don't want your like exposed flesh anywhere near it. Favorite superhero? Mm, Sheree. I'm calling her a superhero. She is? She's, she's a, yeah. What would be your superpower? Ooh, um, flying. What is your superpower? Ooh, analogies. What inspires you? Making people laugh and making people think. What do you do this for? I do this because I needed to see somebody like me when I was younger. And seeing people enjoy my work, have their minds expanded, feel like they can have important conversations with the people that they care about uh, makes me feel really good. Thank you for being here. This was so fun. You asked so many good questions. You really made me think. I do this because I needed to see someone who looked like me when I was younger. I couldn't agree with you more, Francesca. And that's a wrap. Huge thanks to Francesca for sitting down with me. And be sure to check out Francesca's new book, Well That Escalated Quickly, Memoirs and Mistakes of an Accidental Activist, available in stores now. Have you checked us out on Apple Podcasts? SoundCloud, Stitcher? If not, don't forget to tell your friends and leave us a review. I'll see you next time.